Today's reading comes from Acts 28, 17 through 31. And somebody may be passing around Bibles. After three days, Paul called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had not done, not done nothing against or had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers yet i was delivered as a prisoner from jerusalem into the hands of the romans when they had examined me they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case but because the jews objected i was compelled to appeal to caesar though i had no charge to bring against my nation for this reason therefore I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the, king, to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense, and welcomed all who came to him proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is God's word. God. Thank you, brother. Let's pray together. Bow your heads. Lord, you are, you are so good to us, and we thank you uh, for providing us your holy word to know uh, to know you, to know how to navigate your world, to understand who you are, to understand who we are. Uh, and Lord, we pray right now that Holy Spirit, you would guide us as we just enjoy uh, this unadulterated wisdom that comes from your scriptures, Lord. We pray that we would um, we'd be excited, passionate, and we would not just get smarter, but man, you would allow this to lead toward worship. We ask Jesus that um, you would guide me. Holy Spirit, would you... Be gracious and allow me to speak the oracles of God today. Uh, we confess, I confess that in my flesh, I want to look good. We want to make sure this is a good time and people add, get value. But Lord, I, I want to just repent of, uh, of me trying to exalt myself. And I want to ask that you would just graciously, um, every time you allow me to teach or share, that you would allow you to be the focus. Christ be lifted up. Ah, so we pray for that right now, and I pray that my brothers and sisters are praying for that so that you would just answer that prayer, Lord. Be lifted up. Uh, allow us to understand your scriptures. We're not just smart enough to understand. You have to reveal them to us, so we pray for that. 
And we pray that in this hot weather, we could just be attentive. And Lord, give us the grace if we nod off to get back in the game. That's all right. Um, I'm gracious. You're more gracious. So let's just kind of fight together. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated, guys. I had to do a little dental work up here. I forgot to have my, my bands in. Um, guys, if you need Bibles, you see our, our leaders are passing our Bibles right now. Go ahead and raise your hand. We would love to hook you up. Uh, again, we try to make it clear if you need a Bible, um, let us know at home. Because we want you to be navigating the scriptures. Uh, it's, you know, it's a, it's a tension, right? As we're teaching the Bible in a local body, we want to have them readily available for you. So we want to have them on the screen. We also don't want you to get lazy. Right? And so once you come in here with nothing, it's kind of hanging out and like, show me the scripture, show me everything. We want you to part- be a participant and we want you to be passionate about learning and growing because this is just such a small segment. We even talk about our service being a time where basically we gather together and we just brag about what Jesus has done all week. So really this is on... Um, so your whole week is a worship service. And so this is this part of you being in the word all week. So we want you to have a Bible. If you need one, let us know. We'd love to hook you up. Uh, as you know, this is our last uh, time in the book of Acts. And so we are praising God for his grace to allow us to flow through another book of the Bible. And prayerfully, uh, we have tried as much as we can. Uh, we'll see what the Lord says um, in his return, but to try to be faithful to his text and try to apply it and, and be faithful to you guys as we shepherd you. Uh, we will be entering into a, a cool little brief series where we'll be uh, discussing some uh, truths uh, that deal with our cultural context today for the next next four weeks, um, four or five weeks, still trying to figure that out. And then uh, we will enter into the book of Exodus. All right. And so that's right. That's what I like to hear. Getting excited about that word. So and we will be chopping up Exodus for at least a year, I'm sure. So um, that's yeah, that's to say it lightly. Right. So we'll be there for a grip. Um, hey, guys. The, the word of God is awesome, what God is doing. You know what? I want us to uh, hit this last uh, chapter, this last pericope within the chapter. And I want you to always be asking, as we always talk about, keep, like, remember, mindset of a first century Jew, put the glasses on, take yourself out of this context if you can. Just first understand what the, what's going on there. And then it's allowed to uh, come here and say, how do we apply it to 2015, okay? And so be asking yourself, why is this text happening the way it is happening, okay? As we're reading uh, through the text together, as I make a few comments. Um, before we jump right in, if you are new, yes, you are on a moving train like crazy. We're in the last, the last uh, chunk of verses in the last chapter of the book of Acts. So you got about 28 chapters to catch up on. We would love, you can, you can check those out online. Um, we'd love for you to do that. But hopefully with the, even in this segment, you will understand what God is trying to do because that's what I love about his Bible. You have this huge narrative, right? It's like a good God and bad people and him making them righteous by his grace. And then within that huge narrative, you got all these little meta narratives that's reminding you about uh, the, the focal point of what life is, and that is Jesus Christ and him crucified and exalted um, to be our king, okay? So hopefully you'll get that today. Let me just give you a brief snapshot of what's been going on. Uh, in a nutshell, uh, you have uh, this, 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 these two can- you have these two books, uh, Luke and Acts. They were one book. It was one can. Um, and then the, uh, Dr. Luke was trying to basically convert and encourage uh, this uh, very, very powerful Greek dude named Theophilus. 
Okay, and so what he, the way he wanted to do that, he was going to first start with helping him understand uh, the life and workings of Jesus, that uh, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, the scriptures say. So he tells him about Jesus, and then we got the book of Acts, is what we've been studying. And so we begin to see him tell about how this Jesus figure dies on the cross, uh, and then he, uh, all, the, all the disciples are like, what just happened? Like, man, we, we thought we were doing some stuff. You know, we thought we were doing big things, and then Jesus dies. And then all of a sudden... Jesus rises from the dead and he in rises from the dead validates that what he's been saying all along is actually true. And so you have this book of Acts being like, hey, not only did he rise from the dead, but now he said, hey, I rose from the dead and there's a mission. And so now I'm giving you a mission. He gives us a mission in the beginning of Acts uh, that he's already given. We, we talk about this in the book of discipleship that I wrote, Discipleship Defined, that he's given this mission of being the sent people of God, of proclaiming and making worshipers. People should be worshiping Jesus. They're not worshiping Jesus. So why don't you go and make sure that everything I'm telling you happens where I want people to be worshiping Christ. And so what I'm going to do is not just give you that mission, but then I'm going to also empower you to do the mission. So praise God that he didn't just tell us, go do all this stuff. Right. But he says, I'm going to not only tell you what you're going to do, I'm going to empower you to do it. And I'm going to give you the grace to be able to do it. So I'm going to be with you. And that's a cool thing. When you know that God, the same guy that rose Jesus Christ from the dead, actually lives in you and equips you to be about his kingdom service. Okay, so this is what he does with these disciples. So he sends them out. They begin to proclaim the gospel. The same guys who deny Jesus, who are basically spiritual wimps, become powerful in Christ. And they start preaching the gospel, healing cats, doing all kind of crazy stuff. Right. And all of a sudden we begin to see the word of God get proclaimed right there in Jerusalem. Right. And we, be, we begin to see people begin to grow in their faith. We see thousands of people become Christians. Well, we see the Christian life begin to take shape. We begin to see the Christian church begin to form. We begin to see sin fall into the church. God deals with sin by killing some people and showing people that God is serious. So we just get to see this formation happening uh, in real time, real life, in history. This is happening. It's not just a fable. This is happening, right? And so all of a sudden, uh, with all that success that we're seeing, we also see persecution upon the church. So now people are persecuting the church, trying to kill Christians because basically you have people who are just kind of jealous. You have people who think it's going to get in the way of the Roman way, of Rome being being very powerful. And so all of a sudden, uh, the people disperse. So now the, the gospel goes forth, right? It goes past Jerusalem. And remember, he told them, he said, hey, I want the word of God to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. And so we begin to see that practically happen. Meanwhile, uh, we, see the, we see the martyrdom of Stephen. We see Stephen gets killed. But guess, what's who, guess who's hanging out there? Guess who's one of the main proponents of actually Stephen getting killed? We recollect that it's Paul based on our study. We see Paul there. He's present there at, at, the, at, the, at best. Or at worst, he actually had him killed, right? And we see uh, this Paul guy who's uh, getting Christians killed. He actually gets converted. Jesus reveals himself to him on a Damascus road. He becomes a Christian. Uh, so now you all of a sudden see Peter exit left. You see John exit left. And now you see, and they've done a lot of cool things. But then you see Peter. And I'm telling you, I'm giving you kind of an interpretive key of what's going on in the text today. And then you see, uh, sorry, Paul rises up. Paul becomes a Christian. He goes crazy. He was a Pharisee. I mean, you talk about uh, theologians, probably the greatest evangelist, probably the greatest theologian in the New Testament. Again, a brother wrote about 12, you know, 11 to 13 books of the Bible based on where you are in your, um, in your theology. And he begins to preach the gospel uh, to Jews and Gentiles. 
And, man, we begin to see him travel. And I think we said we, 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 we jotted it for 2,800 miles, 1,400 miles, another 2,000-something miles. And, then, and that was before he took his two-month trip, you know, all over the place. And then he's in the water for a couple of weeks. I mean, you have all kind of crazy stuff going on. And while he's preaching the gospel, he almost gets killed probably like three, I mean, I think four times. Okay, he goes to prison and two years of our time of studying the book of Acts, uh, we're seeing this man in prison. And we see and while he's out trying to make his case, we see him also almost get killed again. And so we're seeing a guy who's preaching the gospel who realizes, okay, I was persecuting this Jesus, but this Jesus is actually the person who has true life. He's the one that I need to be proclaiming to, God, proclaiming to the world. He's doing that and he's getting all kind of things that are happening to him where his livelihood is at stake many times in our study. During that time, we see that Jesus tells him, hey, you're going to be heading to Rome. This is during one of the times where he almost got killed. Remember, the, uh, he's uh, stretched out, about to get shanked, about to get beat down. And he gets saved from that. He goes to his little cubby hole and, and, and God, God encourages him and says, hey, I know it's been a hard week. He's like, you think? And then God says, but guess what? You know what I'm saying? They had a brother strung it out. They're about to whip me. And, you know, they had to pick me out of the dirt. I was half dead. And you're talking about... Hey, you're going to go to Rome. He's like, okay. So then we begin to see God's faithfulness in the next few chapters of how God takes Paul, who's continually being faithful, preaching the good news of Christ and telling people, hey, the Jews, hey, I know, I know we, we talk about Yahweh and I understand the Old Testament text, but do you see Jesus here? Do you see Jesus there? And then they're denying him. And he goes to the Gentiles and says, I know you're serving these pagan fake gods, but do you understand that the true living God wants to have a relationship with you? He wants to be restored to you, but you have to repent of your sins and you have to give your life to Jesus because he's the way, the truth, and the life. And so, Jesus, so Paul is doing this all throughout the book of Acts. So we get here in the last couple of weeks, he's talked about him shipwrecked. Uh, he's on an island last week. He preaches the gospel to these guys. Uh, we see him again, favorable conditions again. He finally makes it to Rome. And at the end of, of the, uh, chapter 28, I think we're in verses 1 through 16, we see the scriptures say he finally basically made it to Rome. And so here we are. We get to see God's faithfulness. It's been years, and now this Paul figure who saw his whole life just be changed, where all of a sudden he was doing this one pharisaical thing, and all of a sudden his whole life changes and life is about Christ. And he gives his whole life, and we get to see the testimony of that as we've been going through this book of a man who says, nothing else matters but Jesus. And then we get to see him show that in the pinnacle here where he's now in Rome, and now we get to see the last pericope, the last passage of what happens to Paul. In this, in this, and I want you to ask yourself, what's going on here? Ask yourself, why does it end like this, right, as we're reading? I'll make a few comments, and then I'm, I, I, I pray. I've been, I've been praying a lot over this passage. I was looking at it, and like, Lord, what's going on? Why, why, why? And I, I'm, I'm pretty persuaded. I'm pretty convinced. I know what the Lord's trying to do. I'm really excited to, to share with you. Let's look at the text a little bit. All right, Roman backdrop. Y'all ready to rock? All right. Roman backdrop, 
Uh, actually, during this time, we talk a lot about Roman power. We talk about the, the world being Hellenized. Just to give you this, this is a snapshot again, the reason why the world was kind of the have and have-nots in this way, and the reason why the have were the Romans and the have-nots was everybody else, because you had Alexander the Great um, many, many years ago, uh, before then had basically Hellenized the known world, had come in, taken over, and, ba- and basically said, if you really want to be a socialite, if you really want to be cool and in and know, if you really want to be a cool hipster, you'll be Greek, right? So that's what he did. Right. And so then he Hellenized the whole world. And so now you're in this day where Rome was running everything. And then Roman had pro- Rome had provinces. And then they had areas where there was people groups who were not Romans. They were not Greek people. But basically Rome was still in control of them. And what they would do is they would put people who were of that of that ethnicity in charge, but they were actually correspondents to Rome. And so Judaism, I mean, Jerusalem was like one of those places, right? The Jews are one of those people groups. Uh, but actually, I just want to say to you, Rome was not, they were powerful, but this is not the height of their power. They're actually on a decline at this point, kind of a little bit. And, and that's why they're going to get crazy Nero, who's going to be the king, uh, who actually historians would say is where Paul got beheaded, and it was because of this guy. And so just giving you the backdrop, um, Rome was kind of going on its way down in power. This young man, Nero, uh, becomes an emperor in kind of the 20s, and he's, like, killing everybody. I think historians will tell you that he killed his mom. Historians will tell you that he killed his wife. Um, as far as the people, just to give you a backdrop again, Rome. Because you're like, well, why, why Rome? Cause I always thought he went to Rome just to die, which, which that just shows you how weak my theology was. But I don't think that's, I don't think that's why he went to Rome. <laughs> um, I think the pastor is going to show us clearly why he went to Rome. Maybe you guys are, are smarter than me, praise the Lord. Um, you had a couple million people in Rome, in residency during this time. And really, you had to have and have nots, okay? So you had the people who were very wealthy. You had like 700 senators. You had uh, a bunch of knights. Uh, you had a bunch of soldiers. But mostly, everybody else was kind of poor. So everyone, everyone wasn't flourishing. Actually, the norm, many of the individuals in Rome weren't flourishing. So this is the area. So he goes into an area where people aren't super flourishing, where it's super paganized, but it's a huge cultural hotbed. And here's what the scriptures say. Here he is in Rome. He's there finally. The gospel's been getting preached all over the place. Now, remember, there's people who met him from Rome. So that lets us know that the gospel got there and people have become Christians, which is really cool. And look what it says here. It says, after three days, verse 17, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. So here's Paul trying to kind of like build rapport. He's basically saying, hey, he's called all the Jewish leaders. So you're talking about all the people who are the head of the synagogues. Okay, the synagogues are where the places uh, where the, the head Jews hung out and where they taught. It's kind of basically modern-day church, if you know what a synagogue is, right, for us as Protestants. And he calls all the head leaders, the head chief priests and things like that. So he says, hey, I want to talk to you guys. And then he can't, they can't, uh, he can't go to the synagogue, so they all have to come to him. And they do, because they've actually heard of him, right? Because remember, he's still a prisoner, all right? Don't get it twisted. Paul is still a, a, a prisoner, okay? So he calls all the local leaders to him. And what he's trying to do here is he's, he's, he's in Rome to preach the gospel. So he's trying to prepare. And guess what he does again? We see it again. What does he, what is, where does he start? Where does he start preaching the gospel? To the Jews, right? Now, you would think after all the different beatdowns that he experienced, after basically maybe the last six times he's tried this, 
the result has not been favorable, you would think in the flesh you change the way you do things, right? You'll say, well, you know, these people usually respond when I talk to them about Jesus, and these people don't. I think I'm going to keep going to the people that don't. No, you say, I'm going to go to the people that do respond, right? But for some reason, you can tell uh, that Paul, he sees it fit, and hopefully I'll answer this key later. He sees it fit to go to them first, and notice he still calls them brothers, right? He says, brothers, though I had nothing against our people or our customs. And what he's doing, he's showing these guys that I still include myself in the Jewish community. See, Paul, see, here's what we need to understand. Paul and himself, he was not trying to denounce his Jewishness, okay? What Paul was trying to say was that everything that we were looking for, like for God to do at the end of time, God has actually done in the now in Christ. So he wasn't trying to denounce his Jewishness. He was trying to help define what it meant to really be a Jew. And that was to love Jesus, right? And so he goes through his ritual of going to these guys first. He didn't want the Jews to feel alienated, right? Because say, for example, you go to the Jews first and they, they, they roll their eyes at you and they don't receive the gospel message. At least they know they didn't, they didn't receive it. But if you start with the people group that they absolutely despise, you will absolutely get no say with the Jews ever. Does that make sense? So it's actually a really wise move evangel- uh, from an evangelistic perspective, right? He wants to give them a chance. He wants to make sure he doesn't put up barriers for no reason, right? It makes no sense. So goes to these guys, tells them, hey, the reason why I'm a prisoner um, is not because of anything I've done. He continues on. It says, uh, though I had nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I delivered as a Roman, I'm sorry, as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. We go on. Then he says, when they had examined me, this is verse 18, when they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. So he's making it clear that basically when they, when they got to me and they, they kind of examined, like, was I, was I wrong? They couldn't, they couldn't find anything. So basically he's saying, hey, I'm here. First, Rome, Romans don't think I'm guilty. This was a Jewish thing is what he's saying. They had no charge to bring against me. And basically you guys as a nation have no charge against me. So what he's trying to do again, he's trying to open up the door for them to say, okay, well, then we'll hear you. Right? So he's opening up the door again for the gospel. So he's saying, hey, in the eyes of the Roman government, I'm innocent. This is a Jewish issue. And then they're going, well, then why are you in prison, Paul? That's the whole point of what he's trying to deal with here. Why are you in prison? He says, verse 19, but because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. Again, I'm starting here and I'm going to flow through this because I just want us to see how he's thinking. So he's first just trying to be clear with the Jews. Like, hey, you might wonder why I'm in prison. Well, it's because, you know, the Jews, I mean, the, the Romans said that I was free to go, that I hadn't really done anything wrong. But you guys kind of, you know, kept pushing the issue. People kept following me. And so the reason why I'm here is because I had to appeal to Caesar because I couldn't get you guys kind of off my back here. And he says, for this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. So he's saying, look, hey, so the reason why I'm here, the reason why I'm in Rome is because I had to appeal to Caesar because you guys weren't believing that I'm serious, that I really am a staunch Jew. And so what I want to do now is I want to talk to all of you guys to kind of prove, hey, and I love this. I'm not trying to prove to you that I'm a Jew in the way that you think I'm a Jew, but I want to show you that the hope that you desire to have for Israel, I have that hope, but that hope is actually in Christ. So this is a little academic for us a little bit. We're not a Jew. We're kind of trying to relate, but I want us to understand the whole story so we can be faithful with the text. 
So this is what's happening here. He's setting the stage as he's trying to show them that he's a serious Jew. And check this out. It says here, it says, uh, and they said to him, I love this. We have received no letters from Judea about you. I love this. So because he's, he's thinking that, that they, they got all the information. So the reason why he comes, and this is, this, is, uh, this is not in the text. This is more implication being street. I'm just saying, like, sometimes you don't just give all your information in the beginning. Right? Sometimes you see what people know. Because they like, he's, he's, he's thinking that they got all the information, that all the stuff that people have done and chasing him and trying to get him in trouble and following him, he's thinking they got all the information. So he's like, hey, let me tell you, like, I, I really am a Jew, and, and I'm telling you, I, I'm faithful to the Jewish tra- tradition, and I really didn't do anything. And I, the reason why I'm here is because of Caesar. And, and they're like, man, they're like, we, you know, we, we uh, what does it say? It, let me see, where, where does it say that here? When we examined me, uh, they wished to set me at liberty, but because the Jews objected, says, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. And in verse, uh, verse 20, it says, for this reason, therefore, I have to ask uh, to see you and speak with you since... Uh, it is because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. Here I am. He says, and they said to him, verse 21, we have received no letters from Judea about you and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. So they knew absolutely nothing about the things that he was saying. Right. So basically he could have kind of came another way, but that just shows you sometimes you just kind of keep your mouth shut. And in verse 22, it says, but. And notice this, but we desire to hear from you what your views are, even though we don't know specifically about what you're doing, Paul, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. Now, that's interesting. That's humbling because the scriptures are saying that the word on the street was that Christianity was an actual bad thing. You see that? And so they said, we need to hear from you because, man, to be honest, you guys, this, your, your reputation, the, the whole Christian sect thing, you guys don't have a good reputation, so we want to hear from you. And so guess what? Verse 23, hey, and instead of time where we can talk through this, right? So it says, when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. So the people that were there at that point, they brought even more people. So people wanted to hear this message. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, and don't miss this, testifying to them, says testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. You see that? So what this was, this was not just a sermon. This was like a, a Mac light. This was like a Bible study, right? He's going through the word. They're asking questions. He's answering questions. It uses these two verbs here. You can circle those. This whole concept of, of, of expounded and explained. When it says that, when it says from, from morning to evening, he expounded to them uh, and testified to the kingdom. Right? And so can you imagine? Can you imagine Paul sitting there, the greatest theologian of our day? And he's trying to convince you of who Jesus is. And he's saying, hey, you know, you look at uh, verse, you know, Genesis chapter 3, and you see the seed of a woman, and, and you're thinking, well, what's going on there? Well, that's Jesus. And, and you know, it talks about his, you know, that, that one day this person is going to bruise Satan's head, and, and, and that's Jesus. And in and, and, and Genesis 12, it says, you know, there's going to be a seed, and it's going to be uh, Abraham's seed is going to come, and, and, it's gonna, uh, and, and Abraham's going to be father of the nations. Well, he's talking about Jesus. And in Genesis 14, when you talk about this whole dude, Melchizedek, and you understand what's going on with the kingdom that, well, that, that's pointing to Christ. And in Genesis 15, you know, you talk about Abraham and he believed God and it was his credit to him to righteousness. Well, how does that happen? That's because of Jesus. And 
You know, Genesis 28, when he talks about the bridge and, and you know, climbing and getting to God. Well, who, who's the ladder? Well, that's Jesus, right? And you look at Genesis 22 and Abraham and the sacrifice. Well, that's Christ. And you look at Exodus 3 and the great I am. Well, well that's, that's Jesus. You know, and he goes on and on. And Leviticus 16 and the suffering outside the camp. Well, who's suffering outside the camp? Well, that's Christ. And you look at 1 Samuel and David and Goliath. And you want, oh, that's just about a little dude beating up a big dude. No, it's about that little dude being Jesus and that big dude being death and Satan and evil. And that's Jesus conquering over all those things. That's Jesus. And he's showing over and over again all throughout the Bible how everything is fulfilled in Christ. Can you imagine? I mean, there's over 350 prophecies that are fulfilled. Not to mention, that's in the Old Testament, not to mention all the information that is topological that points to Christ in the Bible. And so he's sitting there, this is Paul, and he's just showing them text after text and he's in Leviticus and he's in Deuteronomy and he's showing him in first Samuel and in judges and he's showing what the whole point of a Boaz and Ruth is and what the whole point of, of, of Jonah is. And, he, and he's saying, it's not about a, a, a homie who's just disobedient and gets caught up in a whale, but he's retelling the resurrection, right? He's retelling what God has to do. He's, he's showing him these stories and, and you know, what's so crazy about all this. Don't miss this. Look what, 24 says, and some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. What? I'm going to pause there. Sis, you got a question? The leaders, yeah, the leaders, all the leaders. Yeah, because he couldn't leave. Because at this point, he's still, he's still arrested. So he wants to preach the gospel, which, which is so cool that God would allow that. So the people had to come to him. So the question um, uh, that sister has here is that, you know, wait, wait, so they came to him? Like, wait, how did that work out? Well, yeah, the people wanted to hear the message. So Robin's asking, well, why was that the case? And so they had to come to him. And the cool thing is that people desired to come to him. So the very leaders that he had talked to, all the leaders of the synagogues, well, they gathered other people and they all went to where Paul was. And then he was able to expound a passage. And so they had like a, a really cool Bible study, you know, for, for a long time, which is awesome. But you know what I love about this? And this is, this is not the point of the text, but this is a great implication. I want to encourage us, not harp on this all the time as, I, as, as we try to lead you guys. This is Paul, the greatest theologian, right? He has at his arsenal the scriptures. The people said, we're going to come to your house and you can just tell me whatever you want to tell me, Paul. And then Paul says, cool. And the scripture says that he expounded the whole, the Bible basically, right? And guess what? This is Paul. Some people still say, I don't believe you. Do you know how awesome that is? Do you know how freeing that is? I, I want, you know, I know, we, I know we believe this theologically, but I want to keep harping on it. When you see that text, that is clear that, man, if the Holy Spirit isn't working in a person, you can have the greatest order with the greatest information, with the greatest degrees and the greatest illustrations, and the person's still going to look at you like, what? This should free us from thinking. See, we, here, here's my desire, and for me too. God wants us to quit being so man-centered about our approach to evangelism. 
He wants you to quit being so fleshly. He wants me to quit being so fleshly. This is a spiritual endeavor. Paul is preaching the gospel. He's showing them. Do you think somebody had a question for Paul that he couldn't answer? You think somebody said something where Paul's like, I don't know. He's man filled with the spirit. He wrote, man, he writing Galatians. He's writing Romans. You know what I'm saying? He's like, let me turn him the book that I wrote. You know what I'm saying? And so, yet, but yet people left, and I can't, I can't tell the gospel better than Paul. And that's what I love about, you know what I love about evangelism? I always say this. I love doing evangelism with new Christians. When we, when we go in groups, I always try to find a new Christian. I don't want to go with the older Christian because we both think we know too much. The new Christian come in, they're bobbling around, they're messing up the gospel, and the person's talking about, pray for me, I want to receive Jesus. What? But he didn't share the gospel right. Well, that's how good God is. How many of y'all have totally messed up the good news and someone's broken? They're like, yes, thank you, I want Jesus. You're like, you do? <laughs> right? Now, I'm serious about doctrine. Y'all know how serious we are about doctrine in this body. And I want us to understand the gospel, not truncate it, but understand the gospel on a bridge. But what I am saying is God is bigger than our, he's bigger than our intellect. And, and what I'm saying here is when you see Paul and you see men and women, you see some cats like, man, I'm broken and God has done something in my life and I want to receive Jesus. And other people are going, I just can't hear you. That should free us. That's a free us that God is in control. God is working this thing. And the only thing we're called to do is to enjoy Christ and be faithful in proclamation. And that that was just an implication. I just wanted to share that with you and hope again just to encourage us. Let's not exalt man. Let's not exalt our methods, guys. Let's be robust about gospel proclamation. Proclaiming the good news. Let the results be left up to God. It's ridiculous. And I don't know how to handle this. And people always come up to me and they'll, and they'll, they'll, they'll see our church doing all these cool things. And then they think we're 2,000 people. And then they see, you know, that we're, we're a small church and we're doing our thing. And then they almost come and they, their posture is like, well, shouldn't you be bigger? I'm like, talk to God. You know what I'm saying? Like, we doing us. You know what I'm saying? We're preaching the gospel. We loving our wives and our, and our wives, you know what I'm saying? We, we loving our neighbors, you know what I'm saying? We care for our kids, you know, right? We go into the hood, you know what I'm saying? We're, we're doing what we do. We're being obedient. Guess who got to get an increase? Not Eric Russ. God gives an increase. But you see how flawed you are when you start thinking, well, no, one plus one equals two. Not in God's economy, it's like 67. I don't know what it equals. But I tell you, God didn't think like us. He does his own thing. So, man, when we can get out of that, let's not think like the world. And, and graciously, you know, be gracious. Don't be arrogant when people say stuff like that. Don't get all, well, don't you know what God says? Well, you need to, no, we ain't got to be. But I'm saying we need to know that God does the work. And that should free you to share your faith. But it also should free you for, for whatever happens. Let us be who we are and let's do what we're supposed to do. For you guys, as you're sharing, and we, you, you see a lot of fruit, praise the Lord. If you don't, praise the Lord. You know what I'm saying? And if you do see a lot of fruit, don't think you're all that, right? Right? Because God has to do his thing, right? All right, I went too long on that one. That wasn't even a good point. I wasn't even a point, so sorry, y'all. But uh, you know what I'm saying, right? Praise the Lord. So he espouses these verses. He's going through all these things. Isaiah 53, he's showing a suffering servant and all this stuff. He's showing, and people are just like, yeah, I get you. And some people are like, no. Well, verse 25 says, And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul, uh, made one statement, right? He made he made one one ending statement. The Holy Spirit, I love this, right? So this will be your ending statement, right? You're really trying to build friends and influence people, Paul. 
So they departed. After Paul, he said, he said hold up, hold before you leave, though, I got one more thing to say to you. One more thing. You're going to like this one. Wait, wait, let me get my Bible. Can you imagine? The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your father, so can you? I'm just like, this, so they really, he stopped them, right? <laughs> he says, they, the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. Verse 27, for this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears uh, they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. And so, real quick, this passage here is quoted all over the place. This is Isaiah 6, very famous passage. I mean, uh, Jesus quotes it. You got Matthew 13, you can write that address down. You got John 12. Uh, Isaiah quotes it. Uh, I'm sorry, it's in Isaiah. John quotes it. Jesus, Paul quotes it, right? In all, in all this, in the same, in the same context. Now, you know what's cool about that, by the way? That's, that's a key when you talk about theology. That just shows you the inspiration of scripture, right? Is that these guys saw that as scripture, by the way. They're quoting it, right? And they're all quoting it. And what's interesting here is what you have, it's a, it's a, again, this is a little academic, but this is for your guys, just for your know is you have right here in this text, when he does this, it's called, uh, theologically, it's called an inversion. Uh, Israel and the inversion, right? And what's going on here is this is the last time that basically you see Paul proclaiming uh, in, this, in, in Acts of uh, going to the Jew first. This is like the, this is like the switch where he's not, it's like he's, he said, for the last time I'm going to the Jew, now I'm about to just preach the gospel. Right? That's what's going on here. Now, I got to get to the point because I want to make sure I know it's hot in here. So I'm going to go to verse 28 and I'm going to come on down here. It says, therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. Now, here's what's going on. You got a diagnosis, okay? For some reason, he gives a diagnosis in this text. We have a hearing and seeing problem, right? You see the diagnosis? And what causes it according to the text, right? You see that? It says the dull hearts. You see that? They fail to understand, right? So you have ignorance and rebellion. So you have a blockage. What I love about this is he's, he's, he's kind of, you know, I'm, before I leave, I want to challenge you. You have, a, you have a problem. You have a seeing and hearing problem. You can't see and hear. But this is not something you can fix, right? You have something that, this is not like you can just have triple bypass surgery. You actually need a new heart. You are dead. He says, you, need, you, know what you, you know what you need, you know what you have, you have a sin problem. He just kind of tells the gospel here. He says, just like he says to all of us, that we all have a sin problem. And basically, he says, there's one way to deal with the sin problem. He's saying that Jesus has to give you a whole new heart. That's his point here. He kind of diagnoses and kind of shares that like, here's what you need. Now, I want to continue to go on because of our time. Verse 30, and then I'll talk about why we're here. Verse 30. He says, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Now, what is going on? There's a lot I could have shared. I, I want to share, but I'm trying to um, not have you here for 50 minutes every week. But I want to talk about two things. What is going on? Why is God doing this? Why? Why does it end like that? Why so abrupt? That's how the book ends. You ever think about that? Now, actually, you know, after this, he writes, he writes a bunch. He writes a few more books. Uh, he's written four books during these two years. Uh, and so you have, 
you have God, you have God still doing some things in and through him. Uh, but why does it end like this? I'm going to say two things. I'm going to say just two main points that, that God is trying to, to get in you and me that I want to carry, I want to focus on. And, and that's the reason why I didn't harp on, even though I was, I, want, I was really thinking about harping on the whole sovereignty and responsibility piece that you see there. He's telling them that their hearts are hard, but yet uh, we know that God is sovereign in what he does. And uh, I've been wrestling through that. And I think those are two issues that have tension, so I don't want to act like I'm not addressing that that God has given you and me a responsibility to receive uh, and or deny his word, but also there's a sovereign hand over all that and that those two issues are compatible. I don't, I don't want to like, run away from that. And if you have issues with that, we can talk about that. But I want to focus in on the two main issues lest we get caught up in all the other stuff. Well, the two main things that God wants, I think, the reader to leave here and go, oh, okay, okay, Lord. First thing is remember the reader is Theophilus, Okay. So Theophilus, this Greek dude, is reading this, and it ends, look how it ends. He lived there two whole years at his own expense. So basically he was living there, he was still, and, and, and I want to pause by saying uh, he, was, uh, he was in a house arrest. Historians think many different things, so I don't want to act like I'm going to land on an area. Some historians think he lived for two years there, he was, he was in chains, and then he actually got released and then he lived a couple more years, and then he was in prison again, and that's when Nero killed him. Um, some think that he was killed during this, uh, this time. It's not, it's not for sure. I just want to make sure I share that with you guys as you guys are wondering what happened to Paul. We do know that, well, we're pretty confident that he died um, as a beheading uh, a few years uh, within this time. We know that. Um, but I want you to notice verse 31. So people came. He welcomed people. They let people come in. And they're proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Notice that, proclaiming the kingdom of God. So Theophilus is listening to this, okay? And I'm convinced that one thing that God wanted to remind everyone who's listening right now, as they see a Paul fall on Damascus Road, becomes a Christian, gives his whole life to Jesus, preaches the gospel, almost gets killed, preaches the gospel, almost gets killed. His running, people are saying, don't run, run, Paul. He's like, no, I'm going to stay. And we're just seeing all of this happen. He gets here. He's on a boat. The boat gets destroyed. He's on an island. He's preaching the gospel. He finally gets to Rome. And then now, and Theophilus is reading all this. And then at the end, he sees people in Rome continually coming to see Paul. And he's preaching the gospel. And the gospel is going forth in Rome. And it says, and this guy's reading this, and it says it's going the kingdom of God is continually advancing. The Lord Jesus Christ is being preached with boldness. And guess what? It is, it is being preached without hindrance. And Theophilus is reading this, and I'm guaranteeing you what he's hearing right here is he's hearing a clearing call from Paul and his life to say, there is a rival kingdom. You think that Nero, you think Caesar is king, but they're really not king. There's a rival kingdom, and there's a true king, and the king is Jesus. And I'm convinced that he's reading that and he has to come to grips with the fact that this guy is telling me that there's another king, that there's another kingdom that's coming, that there's another kingdom that's advancing, that there's another rule and another way of life. And it's not Rome and it's not Nero and it's not these guys, but it's this Jesus figure. What am I going to do? Because this Jesus figure, he believes that he's going forth and it's without hindrance and the power is going forth and people are seeing him. And I look at his life and it's like, man, this, this God won't let him die <laughs> until God wants him to die. 
Think about his life. Think about the dude looking and seeing all the things that have happened to him. And yet he's still standing there. He's proclaiming the gospel with the same boldness. People have been trying to kill Paul for years. They've been trying to kill this brother for years. And, he's st- and, and guess what? He ain't hiding. <laughs> I'm convinced that he's saying, you know what? Your tendency Theophilus, people's tendency is to love this world system, is to love your country, is to love all these things and to think that these things are salvation. And he said, no, there's a true king. There's a true kingdom. It's in Christ. There's no other kingdom. There's, and see, the thing is, that's what, that's what we all try to do, right? That's what, that's what the world does when you don't have hope. You try to find ways to feel like you can address man's deepest issues, Right? And so we, man, we work hard as bunch of, as unbelievers to try to figure out how to preserve our life and stay older, right? And so somebody's on their deathbed, they can't move, they can't do anything, and we got them hooked up to all kind of machines because we're just scared to deal with the fact that you're dead. Why do we do that? Because there's something in us that says, man, this is just wrong and I'm scared. If I don't have hope, I can't let you go because that means, well, what now what? Right? We go through life and we try to figure out ways to, to, put the, to, to, to ease the pain and we build these things. We build these things and we, we're, we're putting makeup on and we're getting the surgeries and we're doing all this stuff because we have to figure out a way to, to deal with our frailty that we're wasting away. And all the things that you and I create, all of our intellect and all the stuff that we try to do to try to say, no, no, we can address our needs of companionship. So we got 800 dating sites. We can address our needs of resources. We can address all of our needs. We still can't deal with our deepest needs. No other kingdom deals with the deepest needs. Only Jesus' kingdom deals with the deepest need of man. Only his kingdom, right? At the most powerful height of Rome, they still couldn't address what Jesus can. So how do you join this new community, this new world? That's a thing. The office is looking at that and he's like, we must, I must have to do something. What, what do I do? He's like, no, no, that's the, that's the cool part. Is Jesus knew you were weak and evil and broken. And so what he did, he did it all. And so in this room, I want to be very clear. The beauty of the gospel message is that a loving God came out of love and abundance of love to create you. We had the audacity to think we could be our own gods as we were imaging God and we sinned against God and we should have been destroyed. We should be left into his decreative state and fallen. But God in his mercy sent Jesus to live a perfect life and to live and to die and to rise on your behalf. To pay for sin and, and to conquer Satan and to, and to defeat death and evil. And then what God says is what you do is you look to him, not to yourself, not being your own king, not to your stuff, but to Christ. So you say, well, how do I become a Christian? Theophilus, why? What you do is you believe. You, you look at Jesus and say, you know what? I am a sinner. I agree. I repent of my sins and I ask for your forgiveness. And God says he promises to grab you, make you his son and daughter, and to take that beginning, that beginning work he's done and to complete it to the day of redemption. That's the beauty of the gospel. You ain't got to do more. You got to believe in him. Here's the other thing. I think, he's, I think it's even as important. Don't miss this. I know that was odd, but don't miss this. Remember we did the book of Genesis. And I was blown away at something. I was watching these unbelievable people, Sarah and Abraham and we're looking at uh, Joseph. 
And these guys that lived these awesome lives, right? And they would do all these things and throughout the book. And then all of a sudden, you know what the verse would just say? It would say, and then Joseph died and then we buried him somewhere. And then it was go to the next story. I'm like, man, if I was Joseph, I'd be like, man, God, do I get like three more sentences or something? Like, I, I did a lot, man. Like, I was in that wilderness. I was in this desert and stuff. Remember, they threw me in a ditch. Right? You know what's interesting? You look at Stephen's death. Here he is standing firm, filled with the spirit, preaching the gospel. God is real. Jesus is real. Repent. Come to Christ. He gets hit with these bricks and he dies, sis. And you know what it says in the next chapter? Absolutely nothing about him. It just says, oh, and Stephen died. And then <laughs> Peter, the spiritual wimp, he denies Jesus three times and he comes back and he sees Jesus. And man, all of a sudden God gives him strength and power. And he goes and he preaches a sermon. Thousands of people get saved. And he stands before the Sanhedrin and these people. And he says, hey, you know what? You can beat us. You know, we, we kind of worthy to be beaten. Him and John says that. They get beat. They're all like, hey, we got beat, man. This is awesome. This is Peter. He preaches, he preaches. He's, 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 he's standing firm. And then all of a sudden, for some reason, Luke saw it fit that the story had to change. Bloop, no more Peter. When last time y'all heard about Peter in Acts? James, a Christian leader, he's fighting hard for Jesus. The scripture says he gets beheaded. Any other text? No other text. I'm convinced Jesus is trying to tell us something here. Now look at Paul. Greatest theologian ever. He's written books of the Bible. He's preaching the gospel. We've seen it. We've looked at it, guys. We've seen him almost dead. We've seen him bloodied and things broken, but yet he still goes, can I go back out there and talk to the people? And he, and he still is trying to preach the gospel. We've seen it together. We've been going through this book a year and a half. And the last verses just says, He's proclaiming the gospel. The kingdom of God is advancing. Jesus Christ is being lifted up with all boldness and without hindrance. You know what's interesting? Nothing about Paul. Nothing. He's gave his whole life. You know what God's trying to tell you and me? I was deeply ministered to by this. God is trying to tell you and me, it is not about us. He's trying to show you that you know what? Yeah, Paul did what I told him to do. And when he was done, he was done. Because it's not about you exalting Paul. It's about you seeing at the end of the text that the gospel is going without hindrance. That the word of God is continually being preached. The story doesn't end. It's beginning because the word of God is doing what it's supposed to do. That's the point of the text. Is that God wants you to be excited that, yeah, I use some people, but that's not your concern. Why are you exalting the teacher when you should be exalting what's being taught? Why are you exalting churches when you should be exalting the head of the church? Why, are you, why do we do that as people? We get caught up and we have these idols and we try to act like we don't, but we do. And God is saying, you should be talking way more about Jesus than that dude. Why are you talking about him? And so God is saying, let me give you a model. I'm going to take Paul. Paul who? It don't matter who he is. It's about me. That's his point. In the text, it's Paul. Great Paul. He says, bump Paul. The kingdom of God 
is going forth. The Lord Jesus is going forth. He wants you and I to be excited that, man, out of all the things that could be going wrong right now, you have the kingdom of God going forth in the epicenter of pagan tree. Wait a minute. Not in, not in shades and in, and in caves without hindrance. You see that? Luke did that for a reason, so that Theophilus could see that too. But so that the people of God can realize, oh, this thing is bigger than me. This thing is and it's not about me. As I look through from, from Genesis to Revelation, God uses people. He loves his people, but his people aren't God. He wants you and me to have a robust understanding about the kingdom. That it's about God's advancement. It's about his, his kingdom going forth. And it's not, Lord, would you give us the grace? To not exalt people. I was blown away. I saw the same thing in Abraham. Same thing. And I see Paul right here. The only person who gets keep, who, who continues to get, uh, they keep talking about after he dies is Jesus. You know why? Because he rose. I'm convinced of it. How does that affect your life? You, you know, we want to know, we want to know Application. You know, I, I look at this, and to me, this is inspiration. I don't think it's an application. You, know, you know how God wants to apply this? Apply this to have a robust understanding about our roles in the kingdom. That, man, God uses us. Hope you get excited about that, but hope you realize it's not about you and me. It's about God going forth. God, out of all the things that's happened in Acts, Jesus wants you to remember, not Stephen, not Paul. That's all good stuff. And that's why you don't see me doing a lot of character studies. I'm not saying character studies are bad. They're good in your own personal devotion. But you can't remember the last time I've done a character study up front, can you? Because I don't, because you know why? Because uh, I don't think the, the, the character I'm studying is God. And all these cats that we're looking at in the Bible, like David, like God doesn't want you to just be looking at David and going, David's so cool. That's not the point. He wants you to look at David and go, man, David messed up. I mean, look how good God is in his life. Look how God did this in his life, even though he was tripping with, you know, Bathsheba. Look what God did, even though he was counting people when he shouldn't have been counting. Look what God did when he was a good leader with Absalom. You see see what I'm saying? Pick a character, and I'll show you how jacked up they are and how good God is. That's one of the main things we even saw in Genesis, right? We were tripping. Because you you don't read the books, and then you kind of just think everybody's cool. Then you start seeing they're so evil, and they're sleeping with people for no reason, and they're like, man, you're jacked up. But it's a good thing. God wants you to know it ain't about them. It ain't about Paul. So guess what? I want to fall in line with what I perceive is what God wants us to do and say, you know what? The reason why he, some reason Luke didn't put Paul at the end and say, hey, here's what happened to Paul. He, you know, sitting on a you know, vineyard one day and he just fell over and had a heart attack. Like, like reason why we don't see any of that is because God is like, it really doesn't matter. You know what does matter? The gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ, is being proclaimed with all boldness and without hindrance. May we be that church. Let's be that church. Let's be excited. God is letting you know the gospel is going forth without hindrance. That means he's got this. Let's make the gospel go forth without hindrance. Come what may. This is God's story. We get to be in it. Um, Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the fact that all of this in my flesh I get so mad sometimes because I want it to be about me. Lord, I just want to have some glory. I'm like, come on, can I just, can people just really think I'm cool and and you, Jesus? And I thank you that you do not want to share your stage and rightfully so. You are worthy of all praise and worship. 
I ask, give us the grace, Lord, in this room to understand how to honor people and not worship people. Give us a wisdom, Lord, of how to see what you've done in Acts to be a, a catalyst for us as a body, to be on mission, to know that the gospel goes forth, you do what you're going to do, and so now we can, we can come alongside that vision and that plan. Would you give us that grace, Jesus? We love you. We thank you for giving us the time to understand and be in your word a little more. We pray it would allow us to worship you more, Jesus.